number five, Exodus chapter number five in your Bibles this morning. You ever feel like things aren't going the way that you think they should go? I forgot to tell you about my son, Jonathan. Most of you know he plays soccer. Well, he played soccer for Crown College of the Bible. And when we were gone, we were able to watch him play. He scored three goals, had the game of his life. They won four to two, I think it was. A couple days later, got a phone call from him saying, Dad, I got bad news. Someone rammed into me and my knee is pretty messed up. Got to go to the ER. He probably has a torn MCL, maybe ACL. Might need surgery. He has an MRI on Monday. If you think about it, pray for him. Hey, his soccer career didn't go like he thought it should have gone. Moses is feeling this way. He's in chapter number five. We're going to read a verse. He's talking to the Lord. And he's telling the Lord, hey, things aren't going the way I think they should be going. Look at verse number 22 of Exodus chapter 5. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil and treated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? You know, it took some time for Moses to surrender to the Lord. If you go back just a few chapters, look at chapter number 3, you'll see God said to Moses, Moses, I want to. I hear the cry of my people in Egypt, and I want to deliver them. And Moses, I want to use you to deliver them. And Moses didn't jump up and down and say, wonderful, I'm so happy about that. Verse number 11, Moses says of chapter number 3, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Makes excuse, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy to do this. In verse 13, he says, what shall I say unto them? What am I going to say unto them? I, I don't know what I'm going to say. If you go to chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says this to the Lord, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Lord, you want to use me? They're not going to listen to me. In verse chapter number 4 and verse number 10, he says, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue. He comes up with at least actually four excuses. And then he says later on, can you send somebody else? And God says, I'll send Aaron with you. It takes him a while to surrender to the Lord. And finally, he surrenders to God. He yields to God and he says, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. We find him in chapter 5. And verse number one, going to Egypt and communicating with Pharaoh. Look at verse number two. He communicates to Pharaoh. So let's read verse one of Exodus five. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. He's right in the center of God's will. He's doing exactly what God called him to do. He's standing before Pharaoh and he's saying to Pharaoh, God sent me and God told me to tell you to let his people go. And you know what happens to Moses? Moses faces resistance. In verse number two, Pharaoh says this to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord neither will I let Israel go. He faces resistance from Pharaoh. If you keep looking in the chapter, you'll see that not only does he face resistance from Pharaoh, Pharaoh makes it hard on the people. In verse 5, the Bible says, Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And I want them to make the same 
a mound of brick. Verse 11, go get you straw where you can find it, yet ought not of your works shall be diminished. Oh, he makes it hard on the people. The children of Israel, the Bible says, complained to Moses. Verse 19, the Bible says this, And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Moses is in the center of God's will. It took Moses some time before he said, I surrender and I'm going to go. And he surrenders to God and he shows up in Egypt and he stands before Pharaoh right in the center of God's will. And immediately Pharaoh resists what he's doing. And Pharaoh makes it hard on the children of Israel so much so that now the children of Israel seem to be turning on Moses. And Moses comes to God and says this, Lord, this isn't really working the way I thought it was going to work. Have you ever been there? Oh, you come to church and you sit in the pew. The pastor preaches or evangelist preaches and, and you're here and you say, well, I know I need to surrender to God. I know I need to surrender to God. And finally you come and you take a knee and you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to be the husband you want me to be. I want to be the wife you want me to be. I want to be the Christian you want me to be. I want to be the soul winner you want me to be. And you get up from that time of surrender in your life, and you go home and you meet your spouse there. And your spouse does not say, yes, sir, whatever you would like, sir. You get home and say, I want to be the parent God wants me to be. And you get home and the children act up just like they've always acted up. You go to work and you say, hey, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to try, to try to be a witness at work. And you, you go to work and you, you stand before the boss and you say, boy, God loves you. And, and God, wants, hey, we're not allowed to do that around here. Don't be doing that. We don't want you talking. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we can come to a point like Moses where we surrender to the Lord. And we can find ourselves saying, God, this isn't working the way that I thought it was going to work. Remember the first time you went soul winning? I don't know about you. I went out there and thought... This is great. People are going to open the door, and they're going to all trust Christ as Savior. And you knock on the door, and they slam the door in your face. And then people yell at you for soliciting and say, get off my property. And, and sometimes as you try in the center of God's will to do what God wants you to do, you face resistance. And sometimes the resistance can be even from people you don't expect that would resist. And Moses goes to God and says, Lord, this isn't working. The Lord deals with Moses, and I want to talk to you this morning about what God tells Moses as we think about a message that I've entitled, Lord, this isn't working. In verse 22, Moses comes to the Lord. He says, Lord, wherefore hast thou entreated this people? Why is it thou hast sent me? Look at verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Here's what Moses is saying. Lord, since I surrender to you, since, Lord, I went and did what you want me to do, it seems like my life has gotten harder. It seems like the resistance has gotten tougher. I think Moses is on the brink of saying, I'm done with this. But God deals with Moses. I want to give you three truths that I think is important for us to remember when we feel like it's not working. I want to first ask the Lord to meet with us, and then we'll dive into the Word of God. Lord, we need you today. 
Lord, every one of us has felt like, I'm sure at times in our lives, where, Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do, and it doesn't seem to be working the way I think it should. Lord, Moses felt that here. I ask that you would use the truth that you used in Moses' life to help us to keep our eyes on you and to stay at it until you call us home to heaven. Lord, we love you and ask you to meet with us now as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, when you feel like it's not working, focus on the control of God. Focus on the control of God. Look at chapter 6. Again, we know chapters breaks, or for us really, the scripture just rolls right into, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. Look at this now. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Moses, I want to show you something about me that I haven't shown before. I am Jehovah God. The name Yahweh was known to the patriarchs, but specifically here God was referring to. I am the God that will redeem Israel from the Egyptians. I am the God that is able to deliver them from this incredible bondage. No one had seen this before. I love the term I am. The term I am. You know God is whatever you need him to be. God is. What an incredible we God that we have that can meet us right where we are. And God is telling Moses, look, I am Jehovah God. I am in control of this situation. And I'm about to show you something you have not experienced before. I want you to hold your place here and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 11. The Gospel of John and chapter number 11. We face problems in life that God wants to use to help us to see him in ways we've not seen him before. God is way bigger than we are. And for us, I remember when uh, our, our building burnt down, we had to, uh, uh, to trust a God that was bigger than we had seen him do anything before and to see God provide in miraculous ways. In John chapter number 11, we know the story. It is a story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, the Bible says in verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus. Therefore, verse 3, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Lazarus is sick. Martha and Mary knew that Jesus could heal Lazarus. They had seen him heal people before, I'm sure. And they're calling Jesus, and should Jesus come, Lazarus is sick. And it's interesting, the scripture says that he delayed. The Bible says in verse 6, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick... He abode two days still in the same place where he was. He waits two days. You say, why did he wait two days? Did he not care? He did care. God wanted to do something for Mary and Martha and the crowd that was going to be there. He wanted to show them something about himself that they hadn't seen before. And in order for him to show them something about himself that he hadn't, they hadn't seen before, he had to allow them to go through a difficulty that they hadn't experienced with someone they loved so dearly. 
The Bible says when Jesus showed up, they're not happy campers. The Bible doesn't say that exactly, but that's my paraphrase. Look at verse 21. Verse 20, John 11. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And of course, Jesus wanted them to see, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at verse number 32. When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw where she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Martha and Mary are disappointed with the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus didn't do what they thought that he should do. He didn't come and heal Lazarus. Sometimes we can get disappointed when we face resistance, when we face turbulence, when we're just trying to do what God wants us to do. And God sometimes allows us turbulence to come into our lives. Again, we're uh, human beings, right? He allows us turbulence to come into our lives. But what God is doing is something bigger than we think he's doing. And you know the story. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And Martha says, Lord, can I just tell you that he's been there a little while. He's going to smell. And Jesus says, roll the stone. And then he calls Lazarus forth. And Lazarus comes forth. And Martha and Mary and the crowd now see a Jesus that not only could heal sickness, but they see a Jesus that can raise people from the dead. Wow. They see a bigger God than they saw before this crisis in their life. You see, Moses is facing a a crisis. He's facing resistance in his life. In the center of God's will. But God says, you know, Moses, it's all right. I am Jehovah God. And I want to display my power in such a way as has not been seen before. You see, isn't spiritual growth about that? It's about me growing in the likeness of Jesus. It's about me growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And sometimes God has to grow us through turbulent times, through resistance, through things that we wouldn't even expect. And I think Moses is a little shocked here. Your people, the one that I'm supposed to lead, have turned on me, God. God, this isn't working. And God says, hey, I'm fully in control. Do you know there's a lot about God that we don't know? He's big. We sang about it this morning, how great thou art. And sometimes our picture of God is smaller than it really is. And sometimes we think, God, I can't believe that you would allow this to happen to me. The reality is it's not about me. It's about him. And what he wants to do is exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I referenced a building earlier. That building was exceeding abundantly above all of us. (laughs) But we see God now in a different light, don't we? We see a bigger God than we saw before. And maybe what God is trying to do in our lives is to help us to see a bigger God than we see right now. 
focus on the control of God. Number two, I want you to see this as we look at chapter number six. Secondly, focus on the care of God. Sometimes when we face resistance, we face turbulence, we face hurt, we face challenges in life, the devil will put it in our mind to doubt the care of God. To think, God, do you really care? Do you really understand? Look at, look at this chapter here, chapter 6 and verse number 4. I also have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. Hey, I made a promise. You can go back and look at this in Genesis chapter number 13. We won't take the time to look at it, but God made them a promise, and he's referring to that, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Look at verse 5. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, And I have remembered my covenant. What's he saying? I see my children there in Egypt. I see and know what's going on. I hear their cry. And I want you to know that I care. You see, the devil will do everything he can to try to get us to doubt the love and care of God. God was committed to his people here. And by the way, God is committed to you and I. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or so? Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. You may say, hey, someone else forgot it and someone else forgot it. But God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Being confident is the very thing. He which hath begun a good work and you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 49 and verse 15, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should have not have compassion on the son of her womb? The highest form of love pictured there, yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget thee. Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Do you know what? God is for you. And don't let anybody say otherwise. Don't let the devil put thoughts in your mind that God's out to get you. God's not out to get you. God loves you perfectly. God is for you. And God is conforming us into the image of His Son. And God's glorifying Himself. God cares. One of my favorite two words is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 16 and verse number 7. We know Peter. We, we can identify with Peter. Peter had some challenges in his life, didn't he? He was disciples there with the Lord. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus perform miracles. Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me. He says, no, I'm not going to deny you. Not me. They all, all the rest of them might, but not me. And you know the story. He denies him, and he denies him three, three times, and he does so in a dramatic way. The Bible says Peter left, and he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus rises again, and Jesus begins to show himself to individuals. And he says this in Mark, 9, in Mark 16 and verse 7, Go show the disciples and Peter. You see, he mentions Peter by name, which tells me what? Jesus understood where Peter was. 
Jesus understood that Peter had gone out and wept bitterly. Jesus understood that Peter felt bad about it and Peter messed up in a great way. And Jesus wanted Peter to know through, through the ladies there. And Peter, hey, Jesus wanted me to tell you specifically, Peter, that he's risen. He cares. We sing concerning his care, don't we? There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Did ever a saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Oh, we sing songs of what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grieves to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for myrrh and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And you know the song. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with our grief. The deepest pain that we may face today, he cares. You know what? Sometimes the deepest pain, I look at this and I wonder, I don't want to read into the scripture here. I wonder what bothered Moses the most. This is just my thoughts. I wonder if what bothered Moses the most is when God's people, the people that he was seeking to lead, turned on him. Sometimes some of the pain that we face the most is from people that we least expect. You know what? God knows about it. And you know what? God cares. He cares. And God says to Moses, I care. Number one, when you feel like it's not working... We've got to focus on the control of God. God's in control. Number two, we need to focus on the care of God. Number three, and finally, focus on the communication of God. Look at what God tells Moses, beginning in verse number six. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I'm back in Exodus 5. Exodus 5 and verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you unto the land concerning uh, the, the which I swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an inheritance, uh, for a heritage. I am the Lord. Seven times, is it? He says, I will. I will bring you out from under the burden. I'll rid you from the bondage. I'll redeem you. Redeem you. I'll take you for me a people. I'll be your God. I'll bring you into the land. I'll give it to you for an inheritance. You'll be free. You will have me. You have the land. And I promise. It sure didn't seem like a possibility then, did it? You say, how do you know? Because he tells the people. Look at how the people respond. In verse number 9, the people said, and Moses spake unto the children of Israel. So God gives Moses a word and says, I promise you this, and I promise you this, and I promise you this. And Moses says to the people, look, God promised us this and this and this. And the Bible says in verse number 9, they didn't even listen. 
Verse 9, And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, But they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit, for cruel bondage. They said, This does not look possible. Sometimes that's our response, isn't it? You ever ever try to help somebody and they're hurting or they're down and you try to help them, you you say in a a Christ-like way, I know sometimes we can just thump people over the head with the scripture, well, bless God, you ought to. No, but you try to help somebody. You say to them, you know, the Bible says that God, I know what the Bible says, but you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know the promise, but you just don't understand my situation. That's how the children of Israel were responding. Yeah, Moses, you got all this, but look at this bondage. Moses kept believing God. You see, God communicated to Moses his word, and Moses believed it. I I refer to this passage, I think, recently in Acts 27. I'm going to refer to it again. Acts chapter number 27. Paul is in a storm. He's a prisoner on a boat. Storm comes up. And he, as a prisoner, becomes the man in charge. Verse 21 of Acts 27. After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you, verse 22 of Acts 27, to be of good cheer, for there will be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. How did he know that? God told him. Verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then he says this, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it will be as God said it would be. He got a word from God, and he said, I believe it. And because I believe it, I'm going to proclaim it to you and I'm going to stand on it. Moses stood on the word of God. What word from God do we need today for our situation? We know what the scripture says. Nothing's impossible with God. Genesis 18, 14 is anything hard, too hard for the Lord. Luke 1 verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Moses made a decision that he was going to believe the word of God. I want to read you in conclusion, in concluding, a little bit of a lengthy story that I hope you'll stay with me. I may have shared this in the past. I can't remember if I did. You need to hear it again. It is a lengthy story that's amazing what God did. And I want you to follow as I read. Then we'll look at a couple of verses in the Exodus and we'll be finished. Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Sevilla Flood went to Sweden to the heart of Africa. They went there with another couple. That couple's name was the Ericsons. And the four of them sought God for direction. They, this was a huge step of faith. They faced resistance by the chief. They faced a lot of resistance. They prayed for spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact the villagers had was with a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. 
Sophia Flood, a tiny woman of only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. There were no other encouragements. As a matter of fact, malaria continued to strike one member of that little band after another. In time, the Ericsons, which was the other couple that went with the floods, decided they're going to leave. They had enough suffering, and they're going to quit. David and Sevilla Flood remained. Sevilla found herself pregnant in the middle of the wilderness. When time came for her to give birth, uh, it was, there were complications, and she uh, died. She was weak from malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow. Inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then took his children back down the mountain to the mission station, giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons. They were, of course, not on the field either. He said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious sickness, and they died. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie, and eventually they brought her back to the United States at age three. The family loved the little girl, was afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal, ob- some legal obstacle might separate her from them, so they decided to stay in their home country and switch to pastoral ministry. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. She met a man and married him. His name was Dewey Hurst. The years passed. The Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth to their first daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college. Uh, One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it. Of course, she couldn't read the words, but she knew someone that could. And uh, there was a primitive grave she saw with a white cross And the words were Sevilla Flood. She jumped in the car and went to somebody that could read uh, the the magazine. And the the instructor summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come a long time ago. The birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, one little African boy who had been led to Christ. And how after the whites had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let them build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all of his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ, and even the chief had become a Christian. Today, there was 600 Christians in that one village. And the guy told her all because of the sacrifice of David and Sevilla Flood. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented him with a gift, a vacation to Sweden. There she sought to find her real father, an old man now. He had remarried, fathered more children, and was just destroyed with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, still bitter, had one rule in his family, never mention the name of God because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. She said, you can't talk to him, they replied, even though he's ill, but you need to know, you can talk to him, but you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flees, in, he flees into a ra- flies into a rage. Aggie was determined. She walked into the apartment with liquor bottles everywhere, approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said. He turned and began to cry. I never meant to give you away. It's all right, she said. God took care of me. 
The man instantly started crying. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. She stroked his face and then continued, I've got a little story to tell you. It's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He's never hated you. The old man turned back, looked in his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. By the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. To make a long story short, Sevilla Flood, the wife, was the most popular person in that village. You see, sometimes we find ourselves like Moses. We surrender to God. We get in his ministry and we say, I'm going to serve God. And we face resistance in our life. And you know what? The devil tries to do what he can to get us to quit, to give up. God is in control. God does care. And God has communicated to us that he is at work whether we see it or whether we don't see it. How does the story of Moses end? You know how it ends. Exodus 14. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 30. The Bible says this. Exodus 14 and verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What did it take? It took an individual that was open before God. Say, God, here's where I'm at. And a God that said, Moses, I know where you're at. I'm in control. I care. And I'm making you some promises. And in the face of even the Israelites that didn't believe, Moses said, I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to stay faithful. May God help us when we find in our lives that conflict, Lord, this doesn't seem to be working, to respond as Moses and to stay faithful. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we thank you for